Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 245. This episode is with two guests. I welcome back to the podcast Ian Cobb, who's now head of fitness in Bulgaria at Botev, and also Christian Claruk. Christian is the head of performance at Sparta Prague. So it's great to have both of the guys on the podcast. This podcast was all based around pre season. So we spoke about different elements of pre-season, we spoke about the main focus of a pre-season period, some of the priorities of pre-season, we spoke about periodization, periodization of conditioning work but also strength work as well, we spoke about the length of pre-season and also what their thoughts are around non-specific football work in that pre-season period as well. So plenty of content around pre-season in this episode, please give it a share because it is one area that we get asked about a lot, especially obviously coming this time of year, around content around pre-season. So please give this one a share with anyone that you think would benefit from the episode. Now, as this episode goes out, we are a week away from our next networking event, which is going to be on Tuesday the 4th of July, 6 till 9pm at Go Perform in Reading. We've got two presenters at the event, Lead physical performance coach for Arsenal Women, Pauly Roche, is presenting alongside Will Haley, who's the academy sports scientist at Reading Football Club. So tickets are still available for that event. If you're interested, go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop and then networking events and you'll be able to grab your tickets there. Just on that point as well, heading into the new season, if anyone is interested in hosting an event, please reach out. We're always looking for new clubs, new venues to host events. So please drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. Just before we get into the episode, a massive thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule, the Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton & Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set, plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a huge thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximise athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Huge thank you as well to our sponsors, Rezzle. Make sure you check them out on socials at Rezzle. And I hope you enjoy episode 245 with Ian Cole and Christian Claruk. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 245. This is a special episode today. We've got a certain topic we are going to cover. We're going to deep dive into pre-season today. And I'm delighted to welcome back onto the podcast for his hat trick, Ian Cole. 
Ian, how are we? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I like that intro, nice. <laughs> and also, for his first appearance, this has been a long time coming, Christian. Christian Claro, thank you for coming on. And thank you for inviting me. And it's a pleasure to be uh, joining a very experienced guy like Ian. Really great to be part of that. Brilliant, lads. Well, I appreciate you giving up your time. And I know there's a lot we can get into with this topic. So I'm going to jump straight in. I'm going to start quite broad and get you both to give you perspectives on things, things first. And then we'll get into a little bit more detail on things. And Ian, I'll start with you. In terms of pre-season period, when we're looking at that pre-season, when you're first thinking about planning the pre-season period, what would you say your aims, priorities are of that period? I think, yeah, Ben, it's a great place to start. My Probably my thoughts on this have changed. Probably heard my last podcast. My thoughts of this have changed over the years as I sort of progressed to coach. And now I lead the, the periodization and the pre-season with the tactical content. So I look to see where the coach wants to be for the start of the season in terms of the team. Now that might seem strange coming from a, a head of fitness, but my my head now, my methodology goes that way. So where the team wants to be come the first game, that's from a game model point of view. That's my starting point. Then I go into how that looks in terms of the fitness outputs, how that looks in terms of the physical game model. What do our players need to do uh, to achieve this game model? Uh, and that's my sort of starting point from there. So really, it's the tactical reference point in the game model. And then I work down through uh, physical attributes, what we need to achieve that. And then I look at the individuals. So from a holistic point of view, looking at the individuals, where are they now? Where have they been before? Uh, looking at old data, previous data, injury history. Uh, so there's lots of things we go into, which we could probably spend an hour on just this one question. But uh, a broad overview, I go for a game model. I look at what physical attributes they need to achieve that and then look at the, the individuals, their previous history uh, and look at the sort of goals for the season in terms of what the club are looking for us to achieve. That's the main sort of priorities there. And then uh, we go deeper into the sort of physiology uh, working hand in hand with the game model from there, if that makes sense. Just to expand on that in as well, before I put this across to Christian, um, you said about how your methodology and your approach had changed. And anyone that listened to our previous podcast will sort of understand your transition through roles as well and where that's come from. But what did then that look like beforehand? Yeah, for me, it was very, uh, I would say, hardcore science. Uh, you know, Gregory DuPont was my mentor. And he was the one that sort of started my journey at Celtic. Uh, very, very hard science. It worked. Uh, I don't say it doesn't work. It's just my thought process now has changed. Look, back then we were heavy on testing. We were heavy on going through the periodization of the physiology, aerobic, anaerobic, PCR system, strength to power to rate force development, uh, injury prevention work. We were really, really streamlined in where we were going uh, in terms of the physiology outputs. Uh, now, as I say, it's changed the model. So I would say it's gone really heavy, heavy science and testing and physiology and how that progresses in developmental pathway, periodization, into uh, my shift, as you've, you've just mentioned, Ben. Brilliant. And Christian, if I put the same question over to you in terms of priorities, aims of that pre-season period? Well, some of it would be based on the same stuff like Ian just described, it would always be the style of play that decides what we're going to do, which means the head coach or the club, the, the way they want to play will decide the fitness outputs that we're looking for. Um, I will still have a quite scientific approach to it, which means we're still quite heavy on, on, on the testing and do different lab testing and field testing with the guys to like establish the, the, the fitness level of the players. Uh, then we would for sure use historical GPS data, for instance, last season, whatever data you got. So we can prepare the guys. And uh, well, the mindset of me have changed a little bit was in the beginning, maybe due to lack of knowledge, it was a little bit more, uh, yeah, I'll call it heavy metal training. It's about training the guys really hard. They should really feel fatigued and everybody should see that they really feel like they were almost dying. Then I found out maybe it was not the best way to build a model because you might risk burnout of the players. So we tried to really get, and that's why I like the testing, to get an exact status of the players, build an adaptation period. And when they're ready for, for the more um, style of play requirements, we really push hard to, to reach that. And, and the style of play my head coach has, has right now is all about intensity. 
so we're really, really looking for, for pushing intensity in the matter of sprint meters, high intense meters, excels, decels, stuff like this. Okay, brilliant. It's an area that we could probably, again, do a whole podcast on. We could probably split these into different podcasts. But the, the idea of testing in that preseason period, Christian, you've talked about their game style, game model coming down from the head coach. Mm. What's your thought process then on which tests you're selecting and then carrying them out with players? Like, how does, how does that determine which tests that you're going for? Some of this, we want to clarify what is um, any strength of the players, what is any weaknesses of the players and, and where they might be missing some stuff. It can be everything from trying to keep the players injury-free, injury prevention tests, different various muscle testing, jump testing, landing and stuff like this. We will test the cardiovascular system. We will do a bit of uh, intermediate running testing, change in direction test and stuff like this just to try to make an individual profile of the players, what are they lacking or what are they really good in and how should we try to help them so they can fulfill the requirements of the style of play. That's basically it. Brilliant. And Ian, what about your approach to sort of testing now? What does that look like? Yeah, probably my view, we still test, but the testing is a lot lighter than what I did previously. You know, maybe a test of banking could be 15 tests. Now I really streamline. I look at anaerobic. Uh, threshold, I look at uh, jump scores and we look at some injury prevention. Uh, speed, depending on the club, depending on their methodology with foot, I might keep, uh, but I prefer repeated sprints or change of direction. I think it's more specific to uh, football players. Uh, so we still keep some tests in there. Uh, like um, Christian said, you know, building up a profile of that player is very, very important. Uh, and I think from an athletic profile point of view, you have to go deep into to the testing. If it's coaches after intensity, it's vital that the coach has that information. Um, the way I look at that maybe differently now, and Christian mentioned that was the game data. So game data, what did they do previous years? Uh, can we have those game data uh, profile of the player for their position? Did they change position? What's the coach looking for them now? How does that look from a training aspect? How are we going to increase their capacity in the football uh, training drills without going deep into the, the athletic style? So that's probably why I don't go as deep into testing, maybe as Christian does, but they were champions last year. So I think the testing's working. <laughs> you got to say that. Well done. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, but for me, yeah, Matt, I've just progressed. And maybe that transition to coach that we spoke about, but I think the athletic profile of players is a must. And depending how deep you want to go in that profile will be either club-led, uh, practitioner-led, or uh, head coach-led. Uh, they'll decide that for themselves. Uh, but for me, yeah, it's going down probably more the game data, uh, looking at the player on video, understand where the player's journey pathway is and fitting that into our game model and how that will look in a training capacity for the player individually. Brilliant. One area I wanted to bring up, lads, which I know is quite contentious and gets a lot of people's blood boiling, is around any non-specific work that clubs do. So you see people either being in the camp of basing everything around football or there's some teams that will still take players away and you might see them doing um, some sort of a boot camp session or whatever the, the sort of non-specific work is that they're doing. Where do you think that fits? Does it fit? Do we need it? Is there a positive or is it just negatives? Christian, do you want to take that first? Uh, I think my take on it will be, not be very political. I think it's a complete waste of time. That's my opinion. Uh, why should we train something not specific for a football guy? It, it, if you want to be better football fitness-wise, we need to train football. Then, of course, we do elements of, is it specific to do uh, a 10-minute uh, aerobic run with a football player? Maybe not, but maybe he really has a deficit in his cardiovascular system, which is preventing him from doing the maximum output he could do in the game. So we might do some, you can call it top off runs after the training or whatever you want to do. Or um, So for me, taking players out, not playing football, just going into the woods, running around, um, I think you should, you could invest your time smarter. I think that's the way I'm going to put it. So from you, Christian, just to expand on that, the approach would possibly be 
to conduct your testing, to get into the pre-season period. And then if something was flagged up for an individual, that is when you might then conduct something maybe less specific, but you wouldn't go to the extreme of maybe what some would do. Yes, that, that's that's what we do. We, we, we do it now with one of the two players in the preseason who didn't have the best end of last season, which meant they, they went into the off season with like small injuries and didn't train completely. And they showed up, did not do very good in the fitness testing, which means to, in a little bit easier way to handle the players, we make them do partial football trainings, and then we do a little bit. It's still specific because you still we still do ex football movements, but more endurance based with one of the fitness coaches, circuit trainings, and stuff like this. But but we never just say now you just run or you just unless they are injured and they can't run, then we do biking or swimming or whatever we should do, but only because of injuries. So Ian. I'm going to put it on you. Why do why do we see clubs still doing it then? I think it comes down to the individual practitioner, you know, and where they are at that moment in time in their journey and how they fit around their club and their head coach. Uh, for me, it's it's a it's a key moment for us as practitioners. Which coach I go with? If if the coach says to me, I want heavy running sessions, I want you know aerobic threshold running, I want repeated sprints, I want the seven k in the mountains, like Chris said. That's not for me. I can do it, but it's not for me. Um, so as a practitioner now, to work with a coach, we have to have a methodology that we're both happy with. For me, you know, going through tactical periodization, we, we like Christian, non-specific work is for us. You know, we, we, I don't believe in it. I think they have to be in football. But as Christian said, there's very specific uh, areas like return to play, uh, rehab, where those work, that work has to be done. If a player's coming back from an injury, 100%, they're going to have to do like non-specific football uh, actions. When they come back to full fitness and they're ready to perform, it's like a graded return into football for me. So what can they do within that session? So if it's a 90-minute session, we know he is aerobically not fit. How long can he do in that football session without overloading him, without, without fatiguing him, without reducing his football actions? So still keeping his uh, game development going in terms of game model still keeping his football actions high, but he's not working under fatigue. Rather than taking him out and allowing him to run around the pitch or do extra work, it's about getting him into the football because ultimately for him to play, he has to understand the game model. So the amount of time he has interacting with his collective teammates, then he's going to develop. Uh, that's how I look at it. That might be, some could say that's probably a longer process. Is it? I'm not so sure in my experience now. Uh, so taking a player and doing laps and runs and interval runs, is that going to be quicker than getting him into the football and reducing his football load? But over the two weeks, what he would have been doing running, he's now understanding the game model. He's now interacting with the players. He's now got partnerships uh, with the pe people around him uh, on his side of the pitch. He now understands the coach. The coach is communicating with him. So for me, that that's where the development comes, if that makes sense. Yeah, brilliant. Just before we touch on periodization, which again is another topic we could go into for, for hours, I'm sure. I just wanted to speak about, this is something that I've spoke to a few people about recently, is the length of pre-season. Because as we record this now, we've got, especially some clubs in the UK, we've got clubs that have started pre-season, clubs, clubs that have been in pre-season for a couple of weeks. Some clubs aren't even back. So what, in terms of that length of a pre-season period, Ian, just start with you. Like, where do you see that? What, like, what's the range? Is there a range? Like, does it, is it depend on external factors? Yeah, like you said, there are teams competing in Europe, uh, teams who have a uh, Christmas break, you know, players who are away in international week, you know, your week, your your cycle changes. And again, this may be controversial. Now I've taken away or trying to take away the preseason phase. So if we think about what I was saying before, it's not preseason, it's season, because our season starts when the players come back. So now uh, we are trying to develop them as football players to play that first game. But their season, their development is still ongoing. It's not pre-season, now it's season. For us, it's like the season starts. So we get the players in, we're working from day one, how to make them understand uh, the game model. I know I keep going back to it, I keep saying it. It might get boring for some people, but how we want to play, essentially, is when that starts day one. So if we're not introducing how we attack, how we defend, how the transitions, how the set pieces on day one, then we're not developing those players to play. 
Uh, that's probably my thought for pre-season now is just season for me. We need to work. We need to work directly. How are we going to get better? Especially, probably more so if you've been in the club the season before uh, because it's a continuation of the season. If you arrive at a new a new uh, club, it's still the season for me. You're transferring from an old maybe playing model into a new playing model. Uh, you've got new players arriving, so they have to understand what the coach wants to understand. If you take time away from that, uh, maybe in the gym or doing running drills, that's reducing your time actually of coaching. Um, and when you do analysis of coaching time and athletic time or training time or gym time, you'll actually be quite surprised how much coaches spend on coaching time, which would be interesting for practitioners to do, you know, and then analyse how their team's performing. You know, are they physically good? Yeah, okay. Are they tactically good? Are they technically good? You can analyse that as well, looking at the data. Yeah, definitely. Just just on that point, Ian, just before I cross over to Christian, that season v pre-season is that like language that you would use with players as well so is that working psychologically with players that they're you're getting them into the mind that they're not in a pre-season period this is the season yeah i think when you say to you know players they come the first day and say you know our season starts now and you see some players you know look at you and like it's pre-season coach yeah yeah it's the season has started this is day one of the season you know and they're like Okay, but when we're running, you know, that's, <laughs> when are we running? When are we getting the test? You know, you're like, I know that's what you want to hear, but that's not how we work essentially. How we work is this is our method, like I presented. Uh, I mean, pros and cons, yeah, because it depends on culture, it depends on environment, it depends on team, it depends on head coach who they had before. You know, you've got to take all these aspects into account. Maybe that terminology doesn't work. Maybe that club is uh, has intensity. And they are all about running. And if you arrive there and you accept that job, then maybe you're going to have to use that term terminology because that's common language within the club. So that culture is created and it takes time to maybe change that culture. So if you rock up and say, yep, it's the season, guys. We're not doing any tests, we're not doing any running. You might lose some players who really value that and have valued that for the last three, four years. So you have to be uh, cautious, uh, cautious and understand the landscape when you go into that club. 100%. Christian, the what well, originally was going on to there before we, we crossed paths a little bit was about the length of preseason. So what's been your experiences on that? Well, like Ian said, it's all about context where you're working because there's a big difference from league to league, how the structure is. Do you have a winter break? Don't you have a winter break? Uh, you have a very long summer period in the club you have. Do you have a lot of national team players who's been away now? And no matter... Uh, how much we like to watch football games it is fatiguing to play games the whole season so it it, it just depends on the context you're, you're working inside and and i also i think i said at the beginning also moved away from these heavy beginnings in the pre-season so i still use the terminology pre-season and season and off-season and stuff like that but just that's just what i use so the length is not that important. The most important is that we get the players adapted to the style of play again, the way we want to train, which means all, you know, a little bit of muscle soreness and stiffness and stuff is gone. So we can actually just train and then we just build the players up and they might not be 120% match fit for the first game because we had five weeks of training or four weeks of training or six weeks of training, whatever you decide. But we make sure they maintain and some of them even lift the fitness level throughout the season. That's that's probably most important. So we don't just load them heavily for five weeks and then we play and then we hope the best. So for me, the length of the preseason is not so important. It is it, it all depends on are you gonna play in Europe? Are you gonna play Champions League round one, two, three, playoffs, Euroleague, Conference League, stuff like this. So it it always be context-based how how long the preseason is. Brilliant. I want to move on to periodization now in terms of how that has looked and maybe even how your approaches have changed um, to that as well. Starting on more of the conditioning side, and then I know we want to cross over onto the, the strength side as well. So Ian, do you want to kick us off in terms of your thoughts around periodization across that, I was going to say pre-season then, across well, the start can, yeah, of the season? I don't want to change your mind. I don't want to change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Go for that, mate. Yeah, I think like you said, like Chris, it's a great point. You know, how long is preseason doesn't matter, and it does matter because yeah, you need to prepare them to play. So how long you have is 
the question people are going to look at, you know, have I got three weeks, have I got six weeks, how long were they off? Do I periodize uh, aerobic condition, anaerobic? Do you go through what I used to do, you know, go through the curves, uh, you know, integrating the curves together, making sure they have that development physiologically. Uh, so for me, uh, you want to start, are you going to go classic with aerobic strength and then move to anaerobic, the power, the sprint, the rate of force development? Are you going to go through that pathway, uh, which can be a classic pathway? Are you going to do complex training? Are you going to bring both together uh, and mix them during the week? Are you going to do old periodization blocks? Uh, it depends, again, what you're looking at, what you're looking to achieve. I think <clears throat> I'm going to be a bit cheeky and ask Christian one mess, one question. And that question would be, at what moment did he think that, you know, they won the championship last year. So through his methodology, what moment do you feel that they, they hit peak condition? We had peak condition. Uh, the way the season was built because of the World Cup, uh, we had a longer break in, in the middle, uh, middle of November to the end of December. And uh, we, this, some clubs decided just to give the players a long break. We decide to tell the guys we have a short break now, then we're going to train again for a period and then have a break again. And after that, when we came in and we had our preseason in January, after that, the fitness level of the guys was uh, really high. So we had a half season because it was a new place, new club, new players to have to adapt to the training methodology. It took a bit to get used to it and the style of play. And, and when we sort of finally had this, this really uh, period where we could just completely decide what was going to happen for uh, how many weeks was that? What, what was ten, 10 weeks, 10 weeks probably, because we had two weeks in November, we had December, and then we had January as well. That, that, that gave us something completely, I never tried it in football before, unique, a long, long, you can actually make in football a long-term plan. And after that, we just flew and won pretty much all our games also and performed at a really high level fitness-wise. The, the reason I asked that is probably you've answered it exactly the way I thought because you had that deloading phase. Obviously, you've had a competition phase and you've actually had a deloading phase and then you've came back in and you've built them up you know, physically and with the game model. And at that moment, they've realized how to play. Mm -hmm physically and tactically and that's probably when you, you you've taken off so and i think that's probably what i was going to say is that deloading phase to make sure you have a deloading phase in pre-seasons where the players can actually recover from whatever load you're going to give them whether it's a real physical load whether it's a real tactical load mentally that they have a, a deloading phase where they can actually recover from that and actually reflect and we speak about reflecting as practitioners and I actually think that the players have to reflect on the work that they've done. And that can be physically uh, recovering, which will be part of it, but also mentally recovering and absorbing that little bit of information. Whether you give three days or four days, two days, I think it's not enough. It's three or four days. And then after the deload phase, okay, we had a longer one because of the World Cup. But I think actually that you'll see a spike in, in performance, not only physically, but, but tactically, because their mind's fresh. And they come in and it's not every day, okay, I'm getting hit with this and this and this and this. They actually need time as human beings to absorb that information. Unless you've been in the club, you know, for three, four years and you have stability there and it's the same methodology, same coach, which nowadays we know doesn't really happen. <laughs> so it'd be quite rare if you had that. That'd be excellent. <laughs> it's a really exciting time for our online community at the moment. We've put a number of different uploads on recently, including a presentation from our recent networking event by Naomi Myhill on locomotor characteristics of training and match play in elite female football. Also from that event, we uploaded a presentation by nutritionist Amy O'Keefe on working and applied performance nutrition and balancing business. And then we've also put two webinars on recently, one by Josh Fletcher, which is building your pathway career periodization, and also Dr. Paul Comfort from University of Salford, um, incorporating weightlifting exercises to enhance sports performance. So you can go and check that out, plus all the other content on the community by getting yourself a free month by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab and signing yourself up there. That'll give you 30 days free to see what it's all about. After your 30 days, you become a paid member on the community. 
you also get access to our WhatsApp group where we've got a number of different coaches in there now having some brilliant discussions on all sorts of different topics and performance questions that come up. So you get access to that group as well as all future content. We've got some great webinars to come, uh, including some of the presentations from our upcoming networking events as well. So make sure you check it out. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there and join our online community. Here's part two of the podcast with Ian Cole and Christian Claret. Ian, just on that on that deload phase, so are you talking about the period prior to the first game of the season? Is that like the yeah. time that you'd be prioritizing for that? Yes, I mean how long your preseason is, I would I would definitely try and get like a three day a three day deload in there. Whether you want to give like two days off and one day is a team building or one day the team go and do something else, you know, which might be non football specific or giving the three days off depending who your squad is your culture uh, your environment your context uh, but for me what i've noticed is after that period when the players come in fresh we talk about freshness they can actually absorb more physical load they can absorb more tactical and mental load so i actually get that spike that christian spoke about uh when they went on to win the championship they went undefeated in the second half you know and i think this year was quite unique that way but uh, i hope some practitioners maybe reflected on that a little bit uh, because the last couple of years I've been trying to do that and, and it's hard for coaches to give three, four days off. Mm-hmm. I can see Chris in the background <laughs> smiling a little bit. It's hard for them to give three, four days off, you know. Uh, but for me, if uh, if it's part of your methodology, you believe in it, I think you have to be strong in it because I, I think the rewards are high on it. Just on that point, Christian, obviously you've mentioned about the World Cup last season and the demands that go into that. But then also now, in the off-season, it seems that players are not really stopping a lot of the time either, are they? They're doing a lot of work in that off-season period as well. So do you think that that deload period just becomes even more important? Because essentially we're going season to off-season. The work's not really changing that much. If anything, some players are probably doing a bit more in the off-season. Going then into a, into a pre-season period, then into the season. So do you think that, that puts even more importance on that deload? I totally agree with Ian said, and and we actually use it practically to give the players. Uh, we actually just planned it today. How we're going to do straight after our training camp before the start of the season? We're going to have two full days off, one day easy, one normal day of training, one day off again, and then we do uh, two two training three training days before the first match, and that's the deload period. It is really important, especially if you have a style of play where it's about intensity, because if you it's not a big deal to to train a lot, have a big volume. It might be boring. It might be uh, you might get a little bit of fatigue, but not much. It's, it's not hard to handle. But if you if your intention is to train with intensity, you also really need to give the guys a lot of recovery. And especially if they also, like you said, play year round with national team. They played in Europe. They play in the domestic league. They play in the cup. Some of the guys they they get a lot a lot of games and minutes plus traveling plus different training protocols because they go with different teams and stuff like this. And we really need to to make sure they 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 get the deal period. And and I think Ian just touched based on it, especially on from the mental perspective. It is really important because it is fatiguing for players and staff to always be traveling around, competing. Uh, everybody is expecting good results and and if you never give yourself self the time just to relax and breathe a bit you're gonna burn out for sure for sure 100 percent. so the deload is extremely important and then just think, to ex- sorry go on no i'm just gonna say one thing i think there's probably one specific case this year uh i don't know the history of the team but maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm not wrong i think liverpool you know you can say can under underperform this year you know, I, I would suggest if they've kept their training program the same for four or five years, you know, have the players burnt out, as it, you know, because you can't tell me those players should have finished in that position in the league. You know, they have the quality to be at a higher level. Uh, so there's something around maybe mental fatigue there that maybe could have helped them. Maybe not. I'm, I don't understand the situation, but, you know, we could suggest from the outside, if they had maybe a deloading played or more deloading uh, phases, would it have helped? I don't know. Maybe they did that. Maybe it's another reason. Uh, but it could highlight an area where teams need to, especially championship teams, to win 
I think it's only uh, Real Madrid that have won Champions League two times in a row. I think back to back. I think that's true. You know, I think to achieve something like that is absolutely phenomenal. You know, all those players who are playing World Cup games every week, they're playing. I mean, the mental stress and the psychological capacity it takes to win two Champions Leagues. I've never been that level. Uh, so the level I've been at, I can understand how hard that must be. And I think Christian brought up a great point there. Actually, us as practitioners, as staff, you know, that must be mentally fatiguing. So how does that training program look? You know, we're talking about our perspective and our context, but how does it look above us? You know, you could how do you look at that level, you know, what the expectation is you have to win the Champions League, you know, and you have to win it next year. You know, how does that look? How does their preseason season look, you know, because they don't stop? Well, that's the other thing now, isn't it? I don't know every I don't actually know the stats on how much things have changed, but it just seems now that the season so-called finishes and then players are straight on international duty and they don't seem to get much time off, whereas it feels like, and I might be wrong with this, where my focus was lying possibly, but it seems like a few years ago you'd have a period where players were just away and they were left to their own devices to sort of recover and then they came back into club. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but it just seems like the amount of games now and the amount that they are doing has just gone through the roof, hasn't it? It's... Uh... It's a political question, isn't it? It's because it's a big, it's a big business and a big industry. So there's there's a lot of money involved that for for sure impacts the amount of games and tournaments that the different um, governments behind decides they they will play. But for sure, we have it now with our na our national team players are not back yet. They will join us. Uh, some guys in two days and some guys in four days because we have to give them extra break, extra holiday after the national team because. They went straight from from us into a training camp with the national team into playing two two games, either Nations League or friendly games and stuff like this. And so we just have to give them extra break. And okay, that means that we only have three weeks of training before the first match with them. But we, I prefer that. Uh, so we at least give them, especially from a mental perspective, the time to relax a little bit. And especially in our context, we won the championship. It's the first title in nine years, I believe, which means that the, the guys were, they were, we didn't have an environment where you're used to winning. The expectations might be you must win, but they were not used to it. So they really need to, to let some steam out because everybody, of course, gets a little bit tense and nervous and afraid of losing the champ championship at the end. Of, so it's really important to give the guys a break now. And, and some of these, they're boys, they're 20, they're 20 years old, you know, they're, they're not that robust and mature yet. They, they really need some time off just to do whatever they want, basically, and not listen to some coach or director or head of performance shouting in the, in the face, calling him all kind of words. <laughs> you mean they don't want to spend 365 days of the year with you? Is that what you're trying to say? I for sure don't want to spend 365 <laughs> days a year with these guys, so they probably have the same feeling. <laughs> Christian, I realise that we sort of skipped the approach to periodization for yourself as well. So have you got anything to add in terms of what Ian's discussed and what we spoke about so far? I think I will say year round, we pretty much do the same things. We just do it at different intensities and different volumes, which means we're playing the same games now that we will play in season. We do the same kind of uh, gym work that we would do in season as well. We just adjust the the, the volume or the load or the intensity or uh, the distance or whatever it is. So we pretty much train the players the same way year round. And then we know for us this season will change a little bit because we're going to play in Europe, which means we have more games per week, which means our focus will only be on recovery and activation, injury prevention, not so much on actual training because there's no time for it and what about that pre-season in terms of periodization how does that tend to look we, we we do we do the same stuff like we do in season we just okay the 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 the, the we can you can call it toughness or whatever you want to do so we do a, a little less in the first week here we had the guys being adapted to training football again kicking turning stuff like all this and getting used to to doing the the correct gym work even though they they did it in the off season. It's just a little bit different. 
coming back with the team and you are competing against guys and you have to change direction faster than normal and stuff like this. And after that, we just do the same stuff and then we just help individuals who have different needs to lift the fitness fitness level. Brilliant. Lads, we had to... Sorry. Yeah. You know, Kristen's probably brought up a great point there in terms of he does the same thing, the same drills during the, the pre-season of the season, uh, but adding more intensity or more duration. So I think this is a great point for practitioners is uh, are, is what you do in pre-season what you do in in-season. So for me, then they connect, it becomes one season. You're adding load, you're adding load to what, what they're doing uh, in the, the pre-season. So because you have more time to recover and you don't have official matches. So his his coach and uh, Christian's methodology is to to enhance and develop the physical attributes, but they're still doing the same tactical games as they do in the season, which I think is great because then you're marrying both together, the tactical and the physical. So the players are getting that same stimulus all through the season. I think that's a good point for practitioners to think about that don't go away from, um, you know, a small side of game that's going to be physical for for four minutes. What is the tactical reference points in that small side of game that the players are going to use? Because you're using the, that four times four minutes, 5v5, whatever your principle may be, you're going to use that from a physical but also a tactical point of view. So does that shorten in the season? Does it go to three minutes? But the tactical reference points are still there. It's just the load is trained, changed if you're looking for like the head of performance to monitor that and feed that back to the coach. I think that's, I think that's a good point that Christian's brought up there. Yeah, great point. I was just checking because we we obviously put out on socials that we we're going to do this and ask for any questions and a couple came in around small sided games which are obviously you've alluded to there. So one of them was just talk about small sided games, <laughs> which we'll try. The other one was about um, sort of periodizing small sided games and is it as simple as going from large spaces down to small small spaces of work or would you add any more context to that Ian, do you want to take that first uh yeah uh we probably we call them tactical games uh so tactical games are, are references the size of the pitch uh, like you said there so is it large medium or small so for us that would be like collective principles uh, sub principles or sub sub principles so those small set of games change depend on the tactical reference during the week. And that goes from large to small, if you want to think of that, periodizing that during the week. We do match day minus four will be really small areas, so small tactical games, working on sub-sub-principles. So it can be 1v1, 2v2, 3v3, probably maximum 4v4. Then we're going to probably eight plus on match day minus three, which is a tactical game. So what are we looking for in terms of our collective principles? Uh, match day minus two, will be sub-principles, so probably units of work, uh, how that looks in a sort of medium tactical game. And then on the match day minus one can be a mix of large tactical games or medium tactical games. But the reference point is to really develop what we're looking for within that week in the game model. Is it defensive work? Is it attacking work? Is it transitions? Where do we need to develop in our game model to make the performance better? Almost uh, the physical is secondary because those that periodization is set if that makes sense so match the minus four three two one it's already set we know and we understand that we have that methodology but it's really going deeper into okay if we work in transitions and match the minus four in a small area probably we'll higher axel cell load than we would if it was just attack v defense so we're just working in attacking phase because in transitions you've got counter press uh, actions there so the transition in the game that tactical game will be a higher axel cell load we have to make sure that we understand that in terms of periodizing during the week. Do we need to reduce maybe match day minus two because we're working on transition? So, like I said at the start, the tactical model will dictate probably the physical load for the week. And then, Christian, have you got anything to add around small sided games? Um, no, just regarding the model Ian described, we, we would use pretty much the same model. The only difference is, is match day minus two because our head coach prefers to do also a little bit larger space games on match day minus two. That's how it is. We just adjust the volume so so we know how it is. Otherwise, it, it, it is it's completely the same. And regarding small-sided games, um, we do the same games now that we will do... Uh, at the at the in the middle of the season at the end of the season the only thing we didn't do in our adaptation period is we didn't use uh, any large sided games which means 8v8 9v9 10v10 11v versus 11 
because it will just give us a lot of sprint meters and stuff. And I'm not too happy about the guys going maximum velocity in the first week. It's just my personal preference and experience that the risk of soft tissue injuries will would be a little bit high, maybe. So we just keep things more at the moment. We play five, five, six, six, and then we will go down to four, four, three, three, two, two, and stuff like this. And then we're in the second week now, we introduced a larger game for the players. They play 10 v 10, but we just made the pitch a little bit shorter. So we played box to box 10 to 10, which reduces the sprint meters a little bit. We have the first training match on, on Friday. So now they adapted and used to bigger spaces. We're ready to go. Um, yeah, that's the way I do it. Brilliant. No, that's great detail. And then when you say training match, is that first like friendly, is it? We don't play friendlies. We play training matches because there's no... Okay. Oh, no. Okay. 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 I like it. <laughs> it's, Brilliant. It, it, is, it is the first friendly match of the season where we play a team from the second best uh, Czech league, which is... Uh, of course, there's tactical elements the guys need to to learn, but it's also a physical training where the guys will play 45 minutes each. That's it. Then they're used to big pitch again. Then we do uh, the next day active recovery and gym work. Then we do day off and then we will go pretty much for training camp. And then we will have the last, let's call it friendly games uh, on the training camp before we go into season. No, I like your phrases better. We'll go for season and training games. I like it. I like it. Um, just, <laughs> that's it. Lads, have you got anything else on that um, in terms of periodization for the more conditioning side of things before we move on to more strength work? Ian, have you got anything on that? Yeah, I think what Christian said there, you know, protecting the players in the first week, it's probably key, you know, you don't want them to be sprinting. Uh, so when I say we do large pitch, it's large pitch, but that large pitch may be zoned. Uh, uh, so collective principles can be like 11 v 11, but in certain zones potentially. So the build-up phase might be from phase one to phase two. So using uh, up to the halfway line. And then in the third phase, you know, maybe it's a, it's another zone. But then if they progress, they get into the attack. So we reduce the space, but it's collective principles. Uh, it's bigger pitch, but we we reduce the space so they don't sprint. And like Christian said, we probably progress into the second week. So you must protect the players in the first week. So uh, Christian's correct in what he's saying. You know, I think sprinting in the first week, you need to avoid. Can you get up to 80% maximum? Yeah, it's probably you can. Um, depending how long the season is. If you've only got, I mean, at Celtic, we had like 12 days, 10 days. You know, sometimes, so probably on that last weekend, we probably would sprint because we need to, because in three and a half weeks, we play a Champions League qualifier and we don't have a league game before then. So we need competitiveness, we need winning mentality, we need robustness, we need it straight away. So we need to get that in the football context faster than probably I do now. Uh, so like we said, the start your contacts, your, your context, your environment, your culture is, is key to that uh, planning process. Christine, one of the other questions we got in, which I feel like we might have already tackled, but just see if you want to add anything to it, was someone's put provide weekly targets for GPS metrics and how they progress across the weeks. So I kind of feel like you might attack that. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Nah, I said the way I try to build the load plan now where we know what's going to happen on each is easy when we're in this part of the season, which I call preseason, which Ian calls season, because we can decide exactly what's going to have happen on each day. When we go into a competitive season, numbers will be all over the place sometimes because players has to play more games than they should. But right now, what we use is we just took um, average data, individual data, positional data from the last season of the players. And then we just build uh, a load model. Week one, we'd like to hit these amount on total distance, high intense meters, almost nothing on the sprint meters. This week, we're taking an, another step, increasing the volume and also increasing the, the sprint meters and stuff like this. So, so I think it's a good idea to not worry too much about everybody else load and numbers and targets but try to look at your own data and actually try to use that to to build uh, some kind of um, you want to do overload you want to do deload you want to do maintenance and stuff like, and then use your own numbers and, and not worry too much about what other guys are doing unless of course you can see your team is really unfit and you're losing because of lacking fitness or 
you have a lot of uh, soft tissue injuries because they're always deloaded and well maybe you need to to look for inspiration but otherwise use your own data build your models use the physiology you know how to build models and stuff like this and then find a way that works great for you brilliant so i want to progress us on now because we had a few quest questions around periodizing strength across pre-season so christian do you want to just kick us off with your thoughts and how you approach that well we like on pitch training we do a period where we adapt the players to to playing football and going to the gym which means that we do the same lifts like a bulgarian split squat for instance i think that would be a quite common lift for a football player uh, we just reduce the the load and the amount of work sets and then we just uh, build up after that so they get into it um, and then we make individual uh, recommendations. We have some guys who maybe need to gain a little bit of size because they're quite young. They just move from the B team to the first team or academy or whatever it could be. It could be older players where the main focus is maintenance. Let's make sure they don't get injured. So we, we don't worry too much about improving their strength too much, but maintenance and otherwise what we always focus for is maximum strength and power that's what we train every week for the guys specific exercises what they need yeah that's it quite simple and if it was obvious a player was showing strength was a key issue going into the season like for example a younger player coming into that first team would that then become a priority would that it, then dictate like do you know what i mean would that then yeah. um adapt the program it could be if it but it will be mainly if i had a um, dialogue with the technical staff do you guys think that his physical strength is uh preventing him from being part of our style of play let's say he has to be a target man or whatever we want to do and he's simply not strong enough well then we will focus a little bit more on strength training and then we might reduce a little bit on his uh, pitch training if needed, so, so, but not a lot, so he can actually uh, gain strength. And then he will start an individual um, program with our performance nutritionist and basics, basic, basic stuff like that. Yeah. And okay. that's also why I like to do the testing of our guys to find out, is it actually maximum strength that we, that they're lacking or is it, RFD or power, whatever you, you, you test for the players. It's, it's nice to get the profile of the players so we can help them to achieve as, as be as good as possible. Brilliant. Ian, what about yourself in terms of periodizing strength? Yeah, I think uh, I was probably 100% agree with what Christian said. Uh, that's the way I probably used to do it. Now I look at like the context of the strength on the pitch. So what actions we, we consider uh, strength actions uh, on the pitch? So is it 1v1? Uh, are we looking for the wide players to defend 1v1? So that will have a strength uh, and power element uh, to that. So how do we improve that in the football context? So we would start very, very minimum with those uh, duels, dual tactical games, where it'd be low repetitions, big recovery. And then we'd start to get into activation where they're accumulating like fatigue. So can they repeat those football actions in a tactical context? So I've probably changed uh, my thought process. I agree 100% what Christian said. I think it's a great model. Uh, I think it works. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, they're champions this year uh, for their context, their culture. For me, probably the practitioner has changed in trying to, as I say, to start that tactical reference point. So if we are saying that our team are have a deficiency in strength, how does that strength look as a team? Is it strength to press? Is it strength to counter press? Is it strength in duels 1v1s? Is it aerial duels because the, the league uh, is like a counter-attack league? Uh, how does that look in terms of what we'll face as a team or what we want in our game model? And then I try to build up the strength actions on the football pitch. Uh, it's, it's challenging. That's really challenging. I found that difficult. Uh, it's probably only been doing it the last two seasons. Uh, but I find it an interesting concept from coming away from the gym uh, to increase strength and power in the gym, but actually to look at the pitch more. So my focus is probably there. So increasing the football actions and periodizing them within the tactical reference point. So can now my defender, my left back, defend 1v1? Can he then counter press? Can he then transition into attack? 
you know, so those strength and power elements, how do we build that in the, 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 the training process? What does that do to the gym time then, Ian? Does that mean that they're spending less time in the gym and more yeah. time out on the pitch? Like, what does that do to that time? Yeah, so if we have a, a player who the coach says has a strength deficiency in 1v1s, he's always getting beat because he doesn't have strength. In my opinion, it, okay, the first point is, is he tactically good enough? Does he read the situation, space and time? Is he aware of how the opposition attack? Is he aware of uh, the opposition player? Okay, yes, he is. So tactically, he's good. So it's a physiological uh, reference point. Is it, let's ask the player, is it a psychological reference point? What's his history? Uh, we take that off. Okay, now we're just looking at physical. If it's physical, rather than take him to the gym, I'd probably try to keep him on the pitch and try to do individual work with that player. Uh, and I would try and build up from individual to bring in maybe some academy kids or like coaching kids to interact. So there's decision-making. So you go from low uh, football decision-making actions with strength and power into high complex decision-making tactical reference points with uh, more teammates and then see if there's a progression into the team. It's not pure strength, 100%. It's not max strength. It's probably speed strength into power and the rate of force development. So looking at that physiological pathway, it still has the same, doesn't have max strength, which uh, Christian spoke about. That's probably the only physiological element it's not touching on because you can't get that in the pitch. It's impossible. Yeah. Christian, have you got anything else to add on that in terms of the strength side of things? No, not really. We still like going to the gym. I think that's my take on it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I was just looking through some of the questions. I feel like the only one that we've possibly not tackled yet is someone has sent in the use of EPEs in pre-season. So start us off by telling me what an EPE is. You want to go, Chris? No, <laughs> no we, we, we talk about it, Ian, and we, we yeah. agree that you are the best on this uh, topic. So uh, my we're willing to. Yeah, yeah, my understanding is explosive peppery exercise, so preparatory exercise. So I think in terms of context and the warm-up, so I think probably the, uh, the practitioner asking the question is, how do we program those explosive uh, preparation exercises within a warm-up? Do we use it within uh, our methodology? I would probably say... Yes. Do I prioritize it? No. Uh, I try and get the, again the stimulus with the ball. So the reference point will be uh, uh, um, uh, football action that has explosiveness within it in the warm up. So if the coach is going to work in transitions, I will make sure that my warm up has the ball involved and has an explosive action within it. So I'm preparing them physically uh, and I'm preparing them psychologically for that decision making when the when the session comes. So. I do, but probably don't pay a high reference point to it. Uh, I don't do it athletically. I might some days use like coordination, transition, excel, decel work, which is more athletic. But, uh, but that depends on where the team is in terms of their psychological uh, state for that week, if that makes sense. So if I feel they really need a tune-up and they need switched on and they need me to blow the whistle and need me commanding, I'll go down that line. If I feel they need... No, today's high-level tactical. I'll go down the ball route and make sure that I'm focusing on the tactical reference point, but still with the explosiveness of, of the game in both situations. Brilliant. Christian, what about yourselves? Now that, now that we've worked out what it is. <laughs> I hope that's... Uh, I hope we might think that it's not. Yeah, we, we, we stick to Ian's uh, description. It, it sounds good. Yeah, we, we, we will for sure use elements of it in the warm-up. The warm-up will always be based on what are we going to do afterwards. So if it's necessary for the players to develop um, force or power really fast, we will make sure that they, they did a little bit uh, in the gym before that, where they come out on the pitch. We also do a little bit in, on, on the pitch uh, in athletic warm-up before we send them into to games and stuff like this. So we'd use elements of it. Um, like Ian said, it's not a thing that I put a great great focus on to be honest i think we we do we train the key elements uh, with the players gym work on the field because our play of style is based on intensity and fitness so it, it, it's more to make sure the guys are actually prepared to do the work demanded in the tactical games which means repeated sprints maximum velocity stuff like this are they strong enough can they develop power fast enough and, and, and stuff like this. 
Brilliant. Well, lads, that has been superb. Great, great content in that episode. So I really appreciate you coming on. I'm just going to give you in a second just any sort of final thoughts you've got on anything. But just as you do it as well, if anyone's got questions or anything, if they want to reach out, just give us your social media or wherever you want people to go just to get in touch. Ian, do you want to just kick us off with that? Any final thoughts and then just wrap us up with how to get in touch? I think, uh, as we always say, there's more than one way. There's more than one methodology in football and there's more than one way that can work. It's what works for you and what you believe as a practitioner is true to yourself. I would just always say, as a practitioner, have your methodology, understand your methodology, how you're going to apply it. Can you communicate that to staff and players effectively that you'll get the maximum out of that methodology? That's the most important thing for me. What you do and what you believe in, we can, you know, we can debate for, for years and it will change over the years, I'm sure. As research comes, research goes, as football changes, Christian said a great point, you know, it's a multi, multi-billion pound euro, whatever you want to say, business. It's huge, you know, so we have to understand that as well. Uh, so I think what you believe in, you've got to communicate it well. Uh, whether that's what, what, what I'm saying tonight or what Christian's saying tonight, we've both been successful. Neither way is right or wrong. And I think that's probably the, the take-home message. But fundamentally, nail it down and be able to communicate it correctly to uh, board members, to coach, to players, to staff. 100%. And any contacts? Where would you direct uh, people, uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn or Twitter, you can reach me. Uh, this is my third time on, Ben. <laughs> so hopefully hopefully someone's listening out there. <laughs> no problem. I'll answer any questions. People know that. I'm a pretty open guy. Brilliant. Christian, what about yourself? Any final thoughts? Yeah, I think as a practitioner, make sure you understand the style of play and make sure you adapt because the real head of performance, head of sports science, head of fitness, whatever you like to call yourself, is always the head coach. He will completely 100% decide what will happen. So like Ian also said, Make sure he buys into to the, your ideas and thoughts, but make sure you understand his terminology. Make sure you can speak football language. Uh, we are not working with scientists. We're working with football coaches and directors and football players. So make sure you're, if you like to use science, make sure it's applied and you translate it into football language. I think that is my main takeaway point because then you can always convince people to do what you think is the right thing and then what uh, about any contact use linkedin thank you brilliant awesome lads i really appreciate you giving up the time and coming on we've been trying to plan this one for a few weeks and i knew it'd be i knew it'd be good i knew it'd be good so no i really appreciate you doing it and also best of luck going into retaining the title christian we'll do our best uh, Ian, I know you're going into a new role as well, so um, congratulations on the role and best of luck going into that as well, mate. Cheers, Ben. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Christian. Thanks, Ben. All the best this season. Thank you, likewise. Cheers. That was a really enjoyable episode for me to record it with the lads, so a big thank you for them for freeing time up and coming on. I knew it would be a good one. I knew I had the right people involved on this episode, so I hope you took plenty away from it. As always, please give it a share. Like I said at the start, this is one topic that we do get asked about a lot. So please share it with anyone that you think will benefit from the episode. And also, if you want to link up with the guys, you want to ask any questions, the best place is probably LinkedIn. So just search their names over on LinkedIn. And I'm sure they'll be happy to answer any further questions that you've got. In terms of takeaways, I think the, the main one at the start was starting with the end in mind, starting with your game model and the way that your head coach wants to play. That then determines a lot of the planning that is going to go into, well, pre-season, but also the season in general. I know we joked, but I do like the, the sort of thought process behind Ian's season versus pre-season. Lads coming in and starting the season, or, or girls, sorry, coming in and starting the season rather than coming into a pre-season period. Um, I think that sort of changes the mindset of players. And then coach v coach values I wrote down as well. So Ian spoke about finding a head coach that is aligned with your values. So we were talking about non-specific work in pre-season, players going and um, doing different work. 
that should be determined from the start. It shouldn't necessarily be a shock. If that aligns with what you want to do and how you want to prepare, that's completely fine. But probably something you should be working out when you move into a certain role. Um, the importance of a deload was something that they definitely agreed on. And Christian gave great examples of last season, how the World Cup impacts that. And then also the work that players are doing in the off-season as well. And he also spoke about protecting players in week one. So not doing as big, air, big an area in that first week. And then week two, you can start to stretch it out a little bit more. Um, and also the importance of using football language. So not getting too science-focused when we're speaking with coaches, making it more around football, around the game. So plenty of takeaways on this one. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please give it a share. I really do enjoy everyone sharing it. I think it goes out and reaches a lot more people that way. So I really appreciate everyone that does that. And go and give the lads a follow as well. Link up with them on, on LinkedIn. Um, and also, just before I let you go, make sure you go and check out our sponsors. They obviously allow this podcast to run. Search for Rezzel, Hytro and The Good Prep over on socials and go and at least give them a follow and check out some of the work they're doing. I would really appreciate it. But again, big thank you for listening and I will speak to you again for a very special episode coming next week, episode 246.